I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. I'm Catherine Potsides, Head of Shows Development at the RHS and we're currently standing in the corner of our floral marquee and I'm looking out across bowls of beautiful peonies, fabulous fuchsias, extraordinary bonsai, grasses, cacti, succulents, everything under one roof and it is a riot of colour for the height of summer. We're so thrilled to be here, the atmosphere is buzzing, everyone's having a great time even though it is boiling hot today so plenty of water plenty of sunscreen sun hats at the ready we're going for a look around Saturn Park welcome to gardening with the RHS in today's show we'll hear all about the unexpected plant life in Tatton Park get tips on how you can create an amazing resilient garden and learn how to create sustainable veg centric tables with chef Sophie Gordon but before that, let's hear about some of this week's highlights. And to do that, I'm joined by Gemma Lake, the show manager for the RHS Flower Show Tatton Park. Hi, Gemma. Hi, Catherine. Where are we right now? Well, we are right in front of the Young Designers Competition Gardens. So we've got five Young Designer Gardens here. And they're just amazing, they're incredible. All the Young Designers are under 28 years old and they really are the talent of the future. And the themes that these young designers are following, while the gardens are really different, the themes are following environmental issues or well-being and health, mental health issues, which I think is something that's really topical, not just for their generation, but for all generations. But it's really lovely to see that they're really taking the stand and they're using their voice and their creative platform to get that message out. So the garden that we're in front of right now is Max's. and. He's built the entire garden using either eco-friendly products or reused products, even down to the MOT, which is a reused product from another garden. And his planting kind of mimics that. So it's really nice just to see this message really being brought to the public. That's fantastic. And why is the Young Designer Competition so important to you? I think it's just really important, not just for horticulture to support young people, but also to give these guys a platform for their careers and also to let them really get their messages and their ideas out because gardening is creative and designers are there to create art and often there's strong messages that come out through that. So I think this is just a great platform for them to get into the industry, but to get themselves out there as well and, and their messages out there. It's great. It's really warm today. We're standing in front of the beautiful Egerton clump, I think it's called. But people are thronging around. They're really excited to see all these uh, new young people, up and coming designers. And we're thrilled to have them at the show. It's so important. 
So what else can we see this year, Gemma? What's exciting to you? Well, there's really is so much to see. We've got some fantastic gardens. One of our main themes is love and colour. And we've got a garden called Flower Power, which kind of ties in both love and colour. It's an explosion of colour from yellow all the way to white and blue. There's some tree bathing that you can go and experience. It's a walk-through garden. So that's really lovely. We've got some other show gardens as well. We've got gardens from Macmillan and Cancer Research. And they're all just lush, beautifully coloured, beautifully planted up, which is great. We've been focusing on community a lot. I think over the last few years, Obviously, it's been really hard to get out and see your friends and get into your community. And gardening has this great way of bringing people together. So uh, we have a really gorgeous little community garden that's been built for the community. It's going back into the community after the show. It's got things like vegetables and really nice colourful flowers, stuff that is easy to grow, easy to maintain as well. So that's a really lovely highlight. We've got floristry, we've got our floral marquee with all sorts of nurseries. You can buy any plant you want, your favourite, from cacti to fuchsias to agapanthus. It's all in there. I think another garden worth seeing today is our collaboration with Michael McGar and Tassen Park themselves. So what can visitors expect to see in this garden? So this garden is not quite what you would expect from a normal garden. The theme is on rewilding, which again is something I think a lot of people are getting interested in. It's about giving back to nature, appreciating actually what nature can do. And so this garden uses Tatton Park as inspiration, really highlighting plants that you can have in your own garden as well, because even though they might be found in your local parks, you can bring them in, you can make them look beautiful, and it also then just encourages more biodiversity into your own garden. It's fantastic. So flower power is a big theme of this year's show, but what does it mean to you and what do you hope people will take away from this year's show? Plants make me so happy and I think they make so many other people happy. They're beautiful but they're also great for the environment and they're great for our butterflies and our bees and our wildlife and for me that's really important and that's why I love gardening and I think visitors are going to take that away too. There's so much here to see, so much to do and it's just really an explosion of happiness because we're all back. A big part of what makes this show unique is the location. We're set in the breathtaking grounds of Tatton Park and there's a hum of wildlife all around, including sheep, as you can hear, deer and, of course, incredible plants. It's something we're celebrating in this year's show with a garden in collaboration with garden designer Michael McGar. It looks at some of the less well-known areas of this estate, highlighting some of the flora and fauna that reside here. We spoke to the designer Michael McGar all about it. The garden is essentially a 20 by 20 plot that we have sectioned off and allowed to grow out to reveal the site itself. So we have wildflowers growing within the garden. We've got some huge field maples that we brought in and we've integrated a show garden through the middle of essentially a wild landscape. We left the spaces alone around the garden to allow them to grow, to reveal itself. The biggest challenge was bringing contractors in and the, the complications with walking over the site. And we had to take some real care in sectioning these sites off, but we've managed to preserve a 10 by 10 garden within this area that is now revealing some wonderful wildflowers. We've got Achillea, red clover, 
verbascum growing at the front and it's really changing day by day as, you know, wild space should do. What surprised me is the resilience of wildflowers in this setting. You know, they, they very look very dainty and they're absolute opposite of what you'd expect. For very fine plants, they're very tough. You know, we've had contractors sort of lying on top of them when they've had enough at the end of the day and they've had to be pulled away from them and they soon spring back up, moving away from cultivated ornamental plants. These are the very toughest and most resilient plants that you can find within the landscape, which makes them perfect for the low-maintenance garden. Having done shore gardens at the park numerous times, I've been constantly in awe of what's going on just on the fringes of the shore site itself. And that was a huge influence. You know, people walk past these plants and these plant communities as just by going to the car park. And it's kind of, it's celebrating that, you know, trying to bring those to the forefront of people's thinking, you know, wild plant communities could be, you know, the basis of your garden at home. It's just that they, they need to be given the, uh, the PR that they deserve, really. Vervain is my favourite plant in this garden. We found it growing wild when we... We sectioned off the area. We reintroduced it as a plug plant. We also commissioned a nursery to grow some in nine centimetre pots. So we've got it running through the centre of the garden and it, we've got it in its different forms. So we've got some growing at six inches high and we've got some billowing out over some of the hard landscaping in the middle. And it, it, you know, it's really changed my opinion of it you know, during this project. You potentially see a lot of these plants growing at the motorway junction, you know, in the, in the strangest of places, in the verges, on the side of the roads, and places that are really in, inhospitable. It's kind of making people see them in a stylized setting that will encourage them to say, actually, I will grow them in my own garden. I will reduce my maintenance requirements and actually start to, to enjoy it rather than have to keep constantly maintaining it. There's always a maintenance requirement. You know, you'll never get away from that in a garden, but... You can use these plants to limit those maintenance requirements. One thing you'll see in the stylized shore gardens, there's a lot of big billowy colours. And I think that people need to start to look towards more subtle and smaller, inconspicuous, not as, as showy. And you can still get the drama and the excitement from plants with more subtle appearances. And I think that growing wildflowers and wild plants in your garden, you know, it is uncertain, but it's very, you never know what you're going to get. And I think that's part of the excitement about growing wildflowers in, you know, in a domestic garden setting. We'd hope that you know, people can look at these plants differently and say, well, actually, that is garden worthy. You know, there's no reason why somebody couldn't mix these in amongst the ornamental plants at home, you know, use existing frameworks that they've got. We're not asking people to totally overhaul the garden totally unsustainable but you could start to integrate some of these plants you know in an existing border we've used these teasels very architectural and i think one of the things we looked at in some of the wild space on the park was lythrum and teasels which will grow in very wet conditions and very dry conditions so the part of that rare group that will tolerate extreme drought and tolerate prolonged wet spells it's sort of the perfect double act really because you could grow those on the edge of a pond or you could grow them in a gravel garden they'd be quite happy in both those conditions and with the way climate is changing these are the plants that will be at the forefront of design going forward
Michael McGar. The garden is a wonderful space and it's so important to celebrate these wild flowers and wild elements of our landscape and they can be incorporated into your own garden too. Sustainable gardening and water management is really, really important and it's something that we're trying to inspire our listeners to think about when they're creating their own outdoor spaces this year. And as we were strolling around, I noticed this fantastic garden that has won the best back-to-back garden at the show this year. We're with Leon Davis, the designer of the United Utilities Garden of Resilience, which is all about water management in gardens. So Leon, could you tell us a bit about this space? So the title Resilience is key really when I was approached by United Utilities. What they were very keen on is discussing climate change and how we're gonna have more frequent extremes of dry and wet periods and how as gardeners we can deal with that in terms of planting and features and water management. So we improvised a number of features that we wanted to show off. So there was water harvest systems. So we've got a water butt, we've got a water butt bench and then also as well how we can manage the flow of water so we're not taking surface water straight back into the system so it's how we can slow that flow down the intention is to take those engineering features and actually do something a little bit different with them to make them into actually quite beautiful objects in themselves so leon what attracted you to this garden project why did you want to take this garden on i just think it's an incredibly important subject you know water management how we can make our gardens resilient going forwards and to have the opportunity to get involved in such a project was it was too good to turn down really so it, yeah it was something that I jumped at the opportunity to do and certainly the detail in the materials in this garden is amazing so you've got a green sedum roof I think caught and steel reel a rain chain and it all seems the water seems to sort of flow in a very sort of natural way and it's really really amazing Tell us a little bit more about some of the specific features you've, you've included that, that people might want to use in their own gardens. Well, the, we've got the rain garden planter, which takes surface water off a roof, slows the flow of that down, so you're not taking that straight into the system, so you're slowing the flow during storm periods. We've got the sedum roof, so simple garden structure. We've got a sedum roof, which again slows the flow. And rather than just taking that water off the roof into a gutter and down into a, a network, what we've done, we've created quite an interesting sculptural piece. And we've taken the water along the rail, down the rain chain, which you know, creates a beautiful atmosphere, um, something nice, the sound of water in the garden. And that goes into a soakaway. So again, we're, we're containing all the surface water within the curtilage of the, the garden, if you like. So we're not, we're not discharging back into the system. It's a really compact space, but it's very effective and I think very relaxing actually to be in. And the planting as well is incredibly sort of lush, but also sort of with some lovely colour to it. Tell us a bit about the plants you've used and why you've chosen these. So again, coming back to the title Resilience, it was important that not only are the materials resilient and the concept is about resilience of climate change, the planting had to tie into that concept as well. So the planting that we've chosen is plants that are going to be able to tolerate extremes of dry weather but also intense periods of wet weather. So certainly around the rain garden the title suggests that might be wet for a lot of the time when actually it's going to be dry for the most time. So we need planting in there such as the ajugas, the persicarias, the carex that are going to be able to tolerate a deluge of water and be submerged for a short period but then they're going to tolerate that extreme dry condition that they might find they're in for at least a few months. It's a fantastic space and even though it's very compact it's beautifully designed and I think it's going onwards 
into another garden. Tell us a bit about how this garden is going to be repurposed after the show. So this garden is going to be dismantled and its new home is going to be at the Arches Bridgewater site in Salford, which is brilliant. And it's going to be used as a resource, an education tool, just to communicate those ideas of what we can do in our own gardens to manage water, save water. It's, it's a great opportunity. Leon isn't the only one sharing his tips and advice this week. We have speakers from all over gracing the public with their knowledge. One area popular already has been the Dig In Live, the place to learn all about what to do with all your homegrown veg. You can get tantalising recipe ideas and top culinary tips from our experts. One of the guests taking to the stage this week has been chef Sophie Gordon. Across cooking and catering, she's passionate about creating veg-centric tables that are both environmentally friendly and a joyous experience. Let's hear from Sophie now in conversation with Mark Diacono. Ladies and gentlemen, Sophie Gordon. Woo! <laughs> Hello. Sophie, you're, you're, you're cooking for us what today? So, I'm going to do something really simple. This time of year, Jersey raw potatoes are like, they're in season and they're my absolute favourite. I don't know if anyone else is, is into them. Um, but I just call it straight up roasted Jersey Royals. And yeah, we're just going to do it with some olive oil, salt and whole garlic cloves. And then I'm going to do a chimichurri with it. So yeah, so that's what I'm going to be cooking. It's a really good dish. It's a nice way to treat them rather than just boil them, you know. Yeah, exactly. I guess we should get started with actual cooking. Normally I'd probably put the oven on about 180 fan or 200, depending on how quick you want them to cook. So yeah, all I've done is I'm not even going to change the sizes of them because in terms of like the little small ones, they'll just go super crispy on the outside and really nice and soft in the middle, as they all will. But the little ones are like, you know, little nuggets, little surprise nuggets. So... I feel like also with potatoes, I think the key to them is also making sure that you season them well. I guess it's like anything. Not too much oil, but enough. You know, the fat will help bring out the, the flavour content in the, in the potato. So I'm just going to do a big old drizzle on those potatoes. So yeah, I've just popped those on the tray. And then a good old... I mean, Jersey Royals are... A bit of salt and pepper. I mean, they're, they're super sweet as they are anyway, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, And they cook... I mean, the early potatoes tend to cook really quick and because they, you know, tend to be one of the first varieties out of the ground. Yeah. They don't take a whole lot of cooking whatever way you do, do they? No, exactly. And I think that's the beauty of them is that they don't take, you know, that long in the oven in terms of, like, roast potatoes. You know, they're not, like, an hour jobby or two hours or... So, and then I'm just going to rub, make sure that that's all coated... I'm going to put them in straight away. You'd probably have them in for like half an hour or so. We'll keep checking them. Anyway, I'm going to put them on the middle shelf for now to see how they get on. So what we'll do with them is you'll have them in a little bowl and you could have it as like a dip. You could put them over. But yeah, I mean, chimichurri is also one of the greatest things because I feel like you can really wing it. You know, you don't really have to be like two cups of this or 100 grams of this. You can kind of just see how it tastes so yeah so I've just got I mean I might just actually do one lot of this for now big bunch of parsley we're just gonna I'm just gonna chop this you know as finely as I can so it will obviously take a bit of time is anyone growing their own parsley oh I love the smell of fresh parsley it's amazing stuff yeah. isn't it? but it, it's interesting I, I would I would say if you are going to grow your own herbs and it's a bit of peculiar advice but I would say don't grow the ones you use most of because if you do, you're likely to hammer the plant to bits. I tend to buy the ones I use loads and loads of, 
and then grow the ones that um, I just want some of regularly. And parsley, because I use parsley and thyme. In you know, everything. And right, right back in the early River Cottage days when I was involved there, we just couldn't grow enough parsley or thyme to be using in the kitchen. It was impossible. And you come back in on a Monday and they've had a weekend of courses and events on and all you've got is these little stubs. Oh, you know, my and, gosh, you, yeah. and you want to strangle because usually what's happened is you've got a chef come out with a knife like that just gone, hello, whick, yeah. get the thing close to the ground. I haven't got a clue about looking after the plant. So it's actually quite a nice thing to do is grow stuff that's beyond the shops, you know, the flavours that you don't find in the shops. But parsley... It's just a great herb. It is, it? yeah. So it's so versatile. I mean, I'm I'm kind of still trying to test ways that I can use it in a sweet way because I quite I find it really interesting combining sweet and savoury flavours. Have you got one? I've got. Oh my god, tell a, me. It's a really old recipe. Yeah. Um, it's, this is really good, right? If you've got tons and tons of parsley, or there's a sale on in the shop, or whatever, really magic thing. You get load of parsley and you cook it in a sugar syrup. Okay. Ah. You cook it in a sugar syrup, and you just cook it for seven or eight weeks or something, you know, a while, the afternoon, take out the parsley and you let it cool down and it's really odd, it tastes like honey. Really? It's called parsley honey. Um, and then what would you use it with? Oh, it's amazing. It's really good on things like bread and butter pudding instead of using honey. Right. Anywhere you'd use honey. It's right, really right. odd. It's somewhere oh, between like honey and apricot jam. Oh, It's wow. really odd. Really old recipe. And you, you cook it for that long that you get all this flavour out. Yeah. But it doesn't, it, oddly, your brain doesn't read it as parsley. It reads it as like apricot honey. Wow, it's extraordinary. So it's so, so good. Um, yeah, really, really nice. Wow, that's so interesting. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so at the moment I've just chopped that really fine. So I'm going to put two cloves of garlic in this. So there's probably about one and a half bunches or like, you know, one big handful, one small handful of parsley stalks and everything. And then, I, yeah, I'm going to do two, two garlic cloves. Uh, maybe I'll do three. You can either do this in a garlic crusher. You could chop it. I'm going to grate it just because I think it will get it will get nice and fine. Um, so yeah, just take the skins off of those. Give them a little bash. With garlic, there's a chemical in it, allicin, and it, it's interesting how you deal with garlic on the chopping board affects the flavour. So if yeah. you if you do what you're doing, which is to grate it, more of that chemical is released because it's mimicking. Bizarrely, you're mimicking what that chemical's there for, which is to put off the rabbits and anything else that's having a nibble. Right. So, essentially, so that's why it's super, super kind of super strong when you, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. So I've grated those garlic cloves. Lemon zest, maybe not be a traditional ingredient in this, but I use lemon zest in, in everything. I kind of use it as a salt and pepper. I think it brings out so much in everything. Um, and then I think with the chimichurri, it's also really important to make sure you're putting enough salt in it. Um, but I do want a good amount of salt in there. Just a tiny bit of pepper. With olive oil, obviously when you're doing this on a chopping board, it's a little bit different to having it in the blender because you've kind of got to watch. So I'll probably do a bit by bit. So I'm just going to go a nice big glug sort of over the top. It will start to soak it up. And then you kind of just continue to bash or chop. Anyone grow their own potatoes? Yeah, 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 yeah. If you want to grow your own Jersey Royals then the variety to look for is international kidney. Okay, Get yourself some international kidney seed potatoes, grow them, and they'll be your own rather than having to be grown Go in Jersey. Go to Jersey. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so these are pickled, salted capers. Yes. So we're getting what's salty, a bit more salt, acid. Bit more, yeah, so you basically have everything in this. Yeah. So the chimichurri, let's just go back through again. You've got parsley. Yep. Parsley. You've got about two tablespoons of capers, like lightly drained, about half a lemon zested, no lemon juice, uh, and then you've got salt, pepper, three cloves of garlic, 
olive oil. Again, with the olive oil, you kind of just... I mean, I'll probably add a little bit on the end as well. Um, and it's glossy, isn't it? It's kind it's, of a, Yeah, you know. it's a glossy sort of... You can tell that it's quite wet, but it doesn't look like you've literally just chopped herbs. You know, it looks a bit more uh, sort of rustic. Brilliant. So, yeah, so then this will obviously just go in a little bowl. And then you've got your roasted Jersey Royals and your chimichurri. Sophie, um, that's just amazing. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the marvellous Sophie Gordon. Thank you very much for having me. If you are wandering around uh, later on... Well, that's it from us here in Tatton Park. If you want to learn more about anything we've covered today or get tickets to visit the RHS Chelsea Flower Show in September, then visit rhs.org.uk forward slash podcast. It's been lovely yet again to see people out there looking at plants, looking at gardens, finding inspiration and enjoying the summer sunshine and the beautiful blooms we have here at Tatton Park. All that's left to say from me, Catherine Potts CDs, is goodbye. We hope to see you at another show very soon. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer, or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs>